0: Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist podcast. We're back for another episode, another week, and it is episode one hundred and fifty-eight. One hundred and fifty-eight. If you go on to the the podcast app, I think there's over two hundred episodes though, uh, with all the different projects we've been doing over the last few years. So check them all out. Go back and um, and yeah, have a look. Have a look through some of the the amazing interviews that. We've been privileged to do over the last couple of years with some amazing innovative people in education and the world of business and yeah across across the whole world um and thanks for thanks for listening if you if you haven't already in you let's say you're listening on on youtube hit the subscribe button just underneath and you'll get an alert every time there's a new episode which is which is normally every thursday at the minute um or if you are listening on YouTube and you want it on your podcast or on your phone, go to your podcast app and search Edge Futurist and subscribe and let us know what you think um, and let us know your suggestions too. Uh, we speak to some innovative people around the world and, and this week is no exception. We are grateful today to be joined by Mr. Andrew Strachan, who I think, if I'm, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but I think Andrew might have been the first person on, our, on the, the, the new podcast. Uh, that we that we started. Um, I think we were doing... If I, how, were we doing like a 20-minute format back then?
1: Yeah, I think, I think you were. I think it yeah, was. Yeah.
0: No, no, that, no. That,
2: we, we didn't want it beyond 20 minutes because that's the average commute. Little did we know, <laughs> but nobody were going to be traveling for a period of time, so we had to shift that one up, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. W- once we realized the average commute was going to be the 30 seconds from the bedroom to the office, it wasn't going to make for a great episode. No. So, yeah, we... I, yeah, God, we... I, like... Some of the conversations we have now, I can't imagine how we uh, how we how we did it all in twenty minutes. Maybe we didn't. I think I imagine we probably just scratched the surface. But Andrew's been on since, um, and it's great to talk to him again and to catch up with all the amazing work that he is doing. Andrew spent a decade in secondary education holding roles as a head of department, whole school IT lead and assistant head teacher, in addition to working as a technical project manager in a service delivery industry prior to entering the teaching profession. Andrew's current role is director of digital strategy with Emmanuel Schools Foundation.
2: Yeah, the Emanuel Schools Foundation is a geographically dispersed trust of six large secondary schools and two primary schools in the north of England. Andrew is responsible for all aspects of how IT is used, both in and outside of the classroom, including digital pedagogy, IT infrastructure and IT service delivery. Andrew has worked closely with Google for Education across uh, EMEA. Oh, my God, that was a mouthful. uh, Team and is currently a Microsoft Innovative education fellow and master trainer. Wow, we're going to dive into that one. Andrew is a member of the education think tank, the EdTech Advisory Forum, and holds an M.Ed in leadership and management.
0: Yeah, master trainer. Do you get like a lightsaber presented to you when you you become a master trainer? No, but I
1: I do have a t-shirt with a QR code on the back of it that if bet was going to be what bet should have been, you could have scanned in and booked us for some training.
2: Nice. All right, so but do you get yeah. to pick which character you are, um, in terms of Yoda and, and, and Obi Wan or anything? Or, I mean, I think, I think
1: probably got? the the default size and would uh stick me straight in at Chewbacca. I don't think I've got anywhere else to go apart from that. And you've you certainly got the facial in hair in your... for it,
0: Andrew. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I thought that was a jumper you were wearing, Andrew. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: Definitely not, <laughs> all natural. <laughs>
0: uh, Speaking of bets, uh, it's back 2022, are you heading down there?
1: I am, I'm there for uh, Wednesday afternoon, all day Thursday and uh, probably three quarters of Friday where uh, myself and my two uh, network infrastructure managers, as they're they're currently called, maybe changing that in the future, uh, are going down, we've got some, some projects lined up across the Trust that we need to do a bit of due diligence on and I think as well, first time back in the flesh for, what, 18 months near enough probably when it gets going again, two years um, we want to see what's there, what's on offer, and uh, and have a have a good opportunity to have a have a dig through. Yeah,
0: it'll be good. I think we're, we're heading down. Uh, well, I, I certainly am. Steve, you are as well, aren't you?
2: Yeah, all been well. Um, baby number two is 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 due officially. Oh, of course, yeah. Seventeenth of December. So my team will be down there, as everybody knows. Uh, my role is is, is slightly different, and, and has has become something very very different since July. Uh, but yeah, my team will be there. Uh, in some guys, and they'll be uh, supporting uh, many, many different providers and our our partners and our collaborators. But I'm hoping to be so there. So, Stephen, are you?
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you? Are you plugging your business right now?
2: No, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, so we're the uh, one of the only four Google Premier Partners in the, in the UK <laughs> and North Europe and Africa. <laughs> and what we offer is not much. Um, I'm hoping to be there. The team are geared up, and they'll be doing all the other stuff. and And the conversations that I'm hoping to have, somebody else will pick those up if I can't make it. And Family first, as always, guys, and and I don't think uh, my life would be worth living if I was to go to bed and miss anything, or even go um, after baby number two just arrived. So uh, fingers crossed, it'd be good to catch up face to face, Andy. I think you know, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah,
1: no, that be good. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, Steve, my my twins were born on a Wednesday. Uh, Mrs. Strachan had to spend a little bit of time in, in the RVI with them. They were ready to be discharged at lunchtime on a Saturday, and I managed to hold the discharge until after five o'clock so I could go to the uh, European Heineken Cup final, which was on at St. James's Park in the afternoon, which is a two-minute walk from the RVI, and then get them discharged afterwards. So if, if, that, if that gives you any sway of getting going to bed, I, I don't know, that might help. If I can find my
2: three days, then uh, that's and, going to be an
1: interesting <laughs> one. Yeah, and, and, then, <laughs> and then and then, and then, and then about a week later, I left Mrs Strachan on her own on a Monday to go to the championship playoff final at Wembley and then came back. So, And then since then, I've not done a lot, I guess, is about the strength of it.
2: And obviously, you were uh, quite quite quickly divorced. And, and, and thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> really that's, that's, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's uh,
1: marriage counselling and advice right here. Let's go. <laughs> so
2: I know we, this is not a question that was on and, and something that we've discussed in terms right. of the themes. I'm really interested in a term that you just used. Mm-hmm. Just remind me of the two members of staff that you are
1: taking down to bet. So uh, uh, I'm taking down uh, my network infrastructure managers. Um, So uh, uh, go on. And so I'm interested to
2: to understand what that means, but also a little thing that you said, their title might change. Is that because the diversity of what they're doing will negate that actually that doesn't mean anything in the world because it's too pigeonholed. But just walk us through, what does that do? And also why do you think it
1: might need to change? So um, at the moment we have, uh, as you're aware, we've got multi academy trust, uh, range of schools. We have local network teams in each schools with, I guess, a, a fairly traditional setup of a, a network manager, um, technician, senior technician, and in some of our schools we, we've got capacity for apprentices at the moment. Um, and then at the at the centre in central services um, we have some some central staff. So in my team I have. Um, the two network infrastructure managers who currently look after um, the South. Uh, One looks after our schools in the South, one looks after our schools in the North. And and I guess that was something that I um, inherited as as historical, but since those roles came to bear, which was very much about looking after the network from a a center point of view, and and that was essentially it is the network running properly, um, centralized administration of our various um, office domains, upgrades to devices um and making sure that the school local teams had a had a point of contact in the center to support them with their day-to-day work i think since those roles came to bear um technology has moved on significantly and the estate that we have in our trust has grown um exponentially uh, significantly as a part of covid but also a part of some of the the dev work that we were doing anyway um and i think like any Good forward-thinking, innovative organisation. We need to um, mature uh, alongside that, uh, and we need to mature our, our our process and our our roles. And there is, I guess, potential with the skill sets that the individual post holders currently have. There is potential to look at um, something more around this idea of service delivery and specifics, looking after specific areas of our entire digital infrastructure, opposed to just this concept of. Uh, a central network manager if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah i I don't know steve did you do you you want to follow up there
2: no no i just think it's really fascinating um the 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 shift of of that and i I think there is this real focus of covid's happened and i know that it's been going for a long long time for, for people like yourself and many many more but this whole thing of okay so teachers are having to learn it but that whole underpinning of the actual journey of those people in co-professional roles, such as IT services, yourselves and your team, actually have, what has their journey been like? And and it's really interesting that you were talking about actually the, their understanding, their learning, their process, their development, because I think that's probably something that needs to be focused, focused on because where we're at in terms of servers and, and networks and everything else is not where we, we're at. At the minute or where mm. we, we're starting to be at and also it's definitely probably not on the trajectory of where we're looking to aim to go to is it do you know the no. whole thing of looking after boards and boxes and and, and switches and all that kind of thing is a, it's a different thing now isn't it
1: yeah it is i mean we're, we're currently having that discussion around um how much do we take to the cloud do we take absolutely everything to the cloud and retain a very small um hard local network presence for? Very specific um, applications that may require it. Do we engage in a in a hybrid model? Um, do we look at things uh, uh, in, in our infrastructure? You know, we're, a, we're a Microsoft um, architecture. Do we do we look at things like Azure? Is that maybe too mature for us? Uh, and I think all those conversations are currently happening because of the growth that we've seen in IT estates. Um, you know, there are some organisations who their estate might not have grown too much, but they might have accessed what they already had because they were well-versed in, in this idea of you know one-to-one devices, for example, let's say. However, probably the rest of us did a significant amount of catch-up, a bit like the rest of the world, in a very, very short space of time. And I think when a lot of people talk about this idea of um, post-COVID recovery or um, post-COVID response, I think for us, it's about post-COVID development and innovation. How do we take what we did and what we responded to and actually um, keep those COVID keepers and go, actually, this is a good thing. There's some really good work here, but also it's identified some significant gaps in our um, process.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a real, and it's something that I, I was pondering on before I moved jobs uh, in the summer of how do we, how do we kind of not, allow ourselves to go back to to how things were and kind of almost like we've we've pulled the spring and we're just going to let it spring back into place and just be like all right we're back to the comfort and and who who could blame a lot of people for doing that especially Uh the the shit time everyone's had over the last couple of years in terms of um having to having to be stretched um to to learn new skills uh but in not in not always in great circumstances um and who can blame people for wanting to actually go right let's let's do us let's have a sigh of relief and and Mm. and get back to how things were but actually it takes a it takes an innovator i guess to go right what have we learned from this and how do we how do we take some of the seeds because i think i i always kind of i know and i know it's a it's a it's an old model now but there's there's still a lot of wisdom in it the samr model and and for technology integration Mm. uh, and, and i and i think a lot of what we've done is is the is the substitution we did we did a lot of substitution we were, we were a lot of people got really good of turning the physical classroom into an online classroom got very good at it
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: a bit of augmentation going on in terms of oh this this google form or this microsoft form can actually mark the work for me this is this is class i'll i'll, I'll use a bit of that but actually are we are we reaching that transformation stage and i think it's thinking how do we take what we've done, and how do we actually, how do we, how do we develop true transformation, so that we 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 we're, we're moving in a direction of, of not just reaction, but of trying to make things more simple, make our lives more easier, um, yeah, and I, and I, it's a difficult task at the minute. It really is, especially as as people are in that mindset of returning to normal.
1: And, and I think as well that it, it's made as these things always are doubly hard when people are returning to that normal and the <clears throat> educational external pressures which we always knew were there ofsted exam results etc have returned and maybe returned in a in a heightened world because they're expecting to see not only everything that you already saw but also how are you dealing with this perceived gap as a result of um result of students being at home and you know we know a lot about the digital divide and uh, and was that genuinely plugged nationally during COVID? I have maybe have some questions over that I think everybody in schools did admirably well um, to try and do what they do what they did and I don't think anybody anywhere could question the the hard work and effort and diligence and time of local teachers and local schools, but you just wonder was the way local schools were supported to push technology out to plug that gap in the digital divide the most effective way it could have been done and then was the national support for teachers in classrooms to deliver um, online learning, remote learning, whatever you want to call it, hybrid learning, um, was that delivered in the most effective way? Uh, And I think there's probably some questions around that. Uh, And, you know, there are many, many, many things. I think I possibly said this last time I was on the pod. Many, many, many things that the government got wrong during the pandemic in a whole range of different fields. The, The concept and idea of distributing devices to schools to give to students who didn't have one, I think was a genuinely really good idea. The delivery of that just wasn't. And I think that that that's something that we've got to contemplate. How could that have been improved? And those of us that have the opportunity to feedback to to round tables and and to the DFE, we have to contemplate how can we explain to them that the idea was good, the delivery of the idea was not?
2: Just interesting how you unpick that. I'm, I'm yeah. just sitting here listening and thinking right. Oh, sorry, that was a real blunt thing. I'm just <laughs> no, no, you're uh, right. It's like, okay, so those people who've been through, as Dan said, a real challenging time, you're trying to innovate and you develop and try and stick, how do you then say, actually, we, we've reviewed, do, do you give them ownership to try and help them to to guide through, to try and see, and, and through coaching, think, actually, was that the best means and how do I develop and trying to coach them through that as individuals to see, or actually, you're going in and thinking, right, we've done a, a mass review, and actually – some of it won't good enough. This is what we need to do next. How how do you approach that? Because I think some of those people, some the, the next steps for a lot of people is a bit of where do we go next. I think is, is the mm. biggest challenge for a lot in education.
1: Yeah. So um, we'd pre and post lockdown one and pre lockdown three in in our trust we come up with the the desire and the need to run a series of um, IT audits in each of our schools. So we had a new um, a new COO start at the beginning of last academic year um and he felt that organizationally the the it team that i'd at that point taken on full responsibility for you might remember last time i spoke to you i was kind of two and a half days a week at a school running on the senior team and then two and a half days a week supporting digital pedagogy um so when i kind of took on this role of director of digital strategy um full time we both established that actually nowhere was there any documentation of anybody having a really good handle on what was happening in in schools both what was happening in schools in terms of technology available the age the reliability the usage but also the the pedagogy around digital technology being used in the classroom so we thought actually there's a really good opportunity here because we would be hoping to see that some staff would um be using the skills that they'd learned during lockdown one and starting to apply them in the classroom. So we engaged in a uh, about a four-month process in the end, with a pause in the middle for lockdown three, where we spent two days on the ground um, reviewing and auditing the use of tools um, for all aspects of school life, specifically teaching and learning. We visited about, in our big schools, around about 30 lessons um, across the two days. We spoke to focus groups of staff, students, senior leaders. We talked with the principal and the, the vice principal about what their vision was for digital strategy um and, and digital tools in the school. We looked at use of the MIS. Um, and then the framework that we created gave us the um the system to then have a look at how confident we could how we could report our confidence in the use and deployment of tools to the board of trustees um on a kind of sliding scale of we are completely confident that everything is being used in the school to the best of its possibility, to we can offer no confidence that this is being used. Um, now, none of our schools were no confidence, but they, they probably sat across the spectrum. Um, and those schools that sat at the higher end of the spectrum were ones where teachers had taken stuff that they'd learned during lockdown and were starting to apply it back into the classroom. So maintaining um, online learning environments for students for homework and revision activities using the idea of screen recordings and that that asynchronous lesson concept to actually do recordings for revision sessions and uploading them so students could get them after the lesson. Um, Those schools where there's probably a little bit of work to do is a bit like Dan was saying, it was replication is what we were seeing. Um, Here's a piece of homework. Actually, now it's just a Word document in an online learning environment. And I think that's given us the framework to start to have the conversation about, look, this is where you're at. if you want to be truly world class for example um this is where you need to get to. if you would like to make better use of the tools that you've got, bearing in mind that there is a significant amount of resource gone into these, this is where we need to go and and we've established a development journey for each of our schools and when that journey will start so some of our schools have said well look actually we've got a lot going on around teaching and learning and ofsted prep and getting ready for that section five visit so we want to consolidate can you help us do that yeah of course we can we've got some schools that said actually we're raring to go we want to innovate and develop and we want to put some resource into that can you help us do that yeah of course we can we'll look at project plans and and training and educator communities. So I think for us we've taken that approach of of giving the information to the schools and then supporting them around decision making of where to go next.
0: What's your uh, just to delve into that a bit more in terms of what that looks like on the ground, are you mm-hmm. is are you in your team, are you going in and and delivering that? Are you are you are you empowering the people in those schools to do that themselves? How are how are you um, managing? A, a
1: hybrid approach, I would have said. So there is um all, all schools have the option of of me um, to go and deliver CPD and to go and support with that kind of big picture visioning and planning. And then we're trying to devolve responsibility uh, and kind of autonomy to train and coach um, individual staff in the school to the school. So we, we in that process and through some of the work we did during um, lockdown, we identified a, a group of staff across the foundation who we would probably be, signposting as um, innovators in the digital space Um, we've kind of pulled those together in a i guess a micro community um, where they get kind of updates and access to additional training and um, asynchronous training they don't have to be online at a particular time they can dip in and out Um, and then uh, uh, after that it's kind of saying to the school okay do you want me to deliver Do you want me to train someone to deliver? And again, giving the option back to the school, because in in some of our schools, um, there are two, three, four, five people who can offer that that digital training with a bit of support. In some of our other schools, they're right at the start of the journey, so they need a bit of my time. Um, But it's about what the... What the school wants, I think, is the key. Um, and each of our schools are slightly different. Each of our schools are are led in a slightly different way. And each of our schools are in a slightly different place. So it's very much school-to-school specific. And I think, like everything in education, um, when it comes to delivery, there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all solution.
2: I'm really interested. I, I keep picking up on certain points. And, and I'm a chair of governors that sits within a, a large multi-cassion mm-hmm. trust. And this whole thing of multi-academy trust focus, cascading a digital strategy and leading it from a central team, but yep. also the last word that you used in regards to autonomy. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure whether it's happened, and, I'm, I'm, and I definitely don't expect you to speak from personal experience or name anybody, but if you're working with from a multi-academy trust central role mm-hmm. and the heads have complete autonomy, what happens when there is a conflict where a head or somebody turns around and says, don't want to do that, don't see the benefit of it.
1: I think we um objectively share why we think it would be a good direction of travel, but I think it's important to identify the sort of multi academy trust that you are operating in. So there are some multi academy trusts where it's a, an 80 20 model, 80% of what is done in schools comes from the trust with 20% uh, autonomy, and then there are some trusts that are completely the opposite end um where there is you know complete devolved autonomy to the schools and the the trust is there to i guess uh, provide a little bit of support and central um on that continuum we probably sit to the the lesser side of 50-50 um uh, and it's about the journey i think we're on at the moment um we we're, we're very resolute that we have absolutely no intention of being an 80-20 trust um we don't think that is the best for our schools the best for our students and the best for our communities um we have really really experienced school leaders in our schools um who have really strong credible um and and to be respected track records however in order to enable our schools to have the capacity to do what they do best which is the the, the fantastic education of the young people in them, we need a central service team to enable some of that capacity to be released from local schools. So we've we've tried to navigate our way through it with um a series of approval processes that includes multiple stakeholders um where we we kind of we work in this idea of of collaboration um and that we we try to show the the value-added and the value-benefit of the service that, that we can deliver. Um, and ultimately, though, if if a, an individual principal is resolute that they want to take a different direction, there are certain aspects where they can take a different direction and we will engage with them and we'll support. There are certain other avenues um, where, because of that autonomy split, there isn't a certain different direction to be traveling. For example, Microsoft Teams and Office 365 is our trust-wide direction of travel. If you want to do something different, that's not going to happen. Bromcom is our MIS. That's what we've got across the trust. That's what we've deployed across the trust. If you want to do something different, that is not going to happen. So it's about understanding where we end on that continuum. Um, And I think in terms of supporting the delivery of that in schools that's probably where we start to think about the idea of um service delivery frameworks and and how we operate within them i think probably um sla is maybe a little bit too too harsh a term when you're working in the same organisation but certainly frameworks to work within where everyone understands that there's a responsibility on both sides of the fence around the framework and the the, the procurement or the decision-making process is clearly articulated, and I think that's probably where we are at right now. Is is working through a period of um, finding out what that looks like.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I think a lot of a lot of places are are, are, are probably going through something uh, quite similar. Well, hopefully they are. Hopefully there's a that they they're rediscovering kind of digital if they weren't doing it before, mm. before COVID and and kind of uh, one thing I want to pick up on, and I think it's, and I'm returning right back to the beginning, I guess, and, and Steve's already picked up on it as well, but kind of um, delving into kind of your role, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who, who work in schools and education who work in terms of the digital learning side of things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot, a lot of places are still of that mindset of right this is if we're going to create a role we need someone to like be that digital learning that bridge almost between the technical side of things and the and the classroom um but your role kind of sits above the the more technical it stuff and the and the digital learning side of things as well so that must give you quite a unique perspective because i guess whereas in some places there might be for want of a better term tension or And and I guess yeah, we're we're all we're all experienced people from schools in this call. There can be tension, can't there, between that type of role and an IT team, and and who's who's because there's different priorities there, I guess as well. So I wonder what perspective your role gives you as somebody who kind of who has those two teams or those two priorities within your remit.
1: Yeah, I think the role on me, I hope. Um, delivering the role really came about because I have that ability to have a foot in both camps, if that makes sense. So, you know, pre-teaching, I operated in a a high-pressure, fast-paced service environment um, with a a significant amount of that around um, computer-controlled, networked lighting systems, around Individuals and kind of teams and, and delivery of those teams, project logistics, um, procurement, negotiation contracts, um, conflict resolution when things didn't go quite well, and um, bidding. So I, I kind of I had a, a, a significant degree of experience about that before coming into education. But then I think probably that aspect of, of my experience, whilst it helped me um, training and helped me in the early years as a teacher. It doesn't necessarily help you in the classroom. So obviously, I've then you know kind of developed my skill set as a as a teacher. Um, well, you know, you both, you're both and Thomas Moore, kind of developed along the the Google route and and sort of the, the trainer and spoke at BET in in the Google Teaching Theatre, supported schools, and then transferred to ESF, where for the first sort of eighteen months until COVID hit, I was there. I was focusing on the the digital pedagogy, I guess, side of it in a single school. Um, and then, with the the sort of shift of COVID and and the the new CEO joining, he kind of identified that actually this this guy's got a skill set that could maybe service in both both camps. Um, uh, and I think it's now about the ability to understand what teachers want and how teachers think. And yeah, you know, teachers are a special breed. We we think in a different way sometimes, and and we think in a way that maybe isn't the same as you would think in a business world or in a service environment. Um, but also, I've got the the ability to understand how my service team are operating and and why they want to do things in a particular way and why certain steps need to be gone through before we can enact whatever it is we're trying to do in the classroom. Um, I think I'm very lucky that that my two center um it service guys understand what is expected in the classroom that you know their experience they've been in in education service delivery for a a long time um will they understand what is what is needed by teachers and they understand how teachers think and they understand why you know stuff might not be the right time to do it now um and i you know I i think if if they were here with you we'd probably all say there was a a bit of a six month journey where i had to earn their trust you know there was a a bit of a war a teachers leading our team we're not sure how we feel about that and i think probably rightly so you know it's a bit of a a bit of a sideways shift it's something different um but i, I think if you spoke to the team now we were just talking this morning about how we are now genuinely operating as a team and and how we're, we've we gone through that period of how a team builds and that, that we trust each other. And they trust me to understand the way that they're going to do things. They've um, seen that I understand the technology and the terminology and, and how our network architecture goes together. And when we're talking about um, our data center and what the needs are. Um, we're talking about our network and what the needs are. I, I guess, I've earned their respect because I understand what we're talking about. And whilst I couldn't do their jobs, I understand what it is that they need and and to want to talk about to do their jobs. And I think they understand. that, You know, I've said I'm an experienced teacher, and that I can articulate to them why a teacher may be asking for something done in a particular way because we come back to the the pedagogy of what's what's needed in the classroom. Um, I think it brings a really interesting perspective when you're talking with um, school leaders, because I can I can articulate to them why I would do something in the classroom in a pedagogical sense, but actually what the impact of that desire to do something in the classroom is on the service delivery team in terms of, of man hours or security settings or cybersecurity questions around it, um, hardware costs, which I think sometimes Teachers maybe forget and, and they want you know kind of want it done now because this is what I'm doing in the weeks time, but actually that's going to take seven, eight or nine hours of an individual technician's time to do something and X amount of cost. So I, I think that's probably that the perspective is I, I can have a foot in both camps. Um, I understand how both sides of it work, and and I think I was really passionate about this role being enacted by a teacher. But yeah. it needs to be a teacher who could have a foot in both camps.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I t- I'm le- I'm kind of learning a lot of that myself with work working alongside a massive IT team. Um, the I'm working with we've got three different colleges, and mm. they're the the IT team. So I I are like the director of digital strategy. Um, but then we've also got a, a director of of the IT infrastructure side of things as well. So yeah. we but we we've got a great relationship and it's kind of and i still find myself kind of getting like oh, i want i want i want an app switched on and i'm mm-hmm. like i get frustrated when it's not there because i'm like come <laughs> on this is like because i think in my head my priority is learning i'm like yep. like that's that's a lesson that's a day that's a week that that teacher isn't being able to use that app and being able to progress learning yeah um but then when i step over the fence and and go and chat to them and and they're amazing guys they and their their priorities are spot on as well they yeah. Um very knowledgeable people um it just takes time for some stuff. Uh some it, stuff it just does. does take time and it's yeah. I, yeah, I mean it it that's that's not to say there's no room for for always looking at systems and seeing how we can streamline mm-hmm. them. But um but yeah, it's it is it, when those two worlds collide it's very different. We're we're very much standing on the uh the toes of the the Learning Dust podcast here. This is kind of this <laughs> territory at the moment. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if anyone hasn't heard the Learn and Dust podcast, go check it out. Uh, they they kind of very much looking at how teaching and learning and and the IT side of things come together and work together and the relationships there. Great podcast. Yeah, Andrew, do you did you want to jump in there?
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say I think it's what you often find, and certainly I, I I was aware of beforehand, but I've seen it happen a lot, um, specifically during lockdown three. The the team, my team. Very much have that idea of of learning at the forefront, but they've got to keep also at the forefront of their mind. Certainly, when we talk about turning apps on, um, the security of our network, because you know one one app being turned on inadvertently without checking that process first could take our network down for um, the best part of eight thousand users, and that that that's not ideal. Um, and I think we we look at everything, and that the mantra in the team very much is solution focused. Yep. All right. Stuff's going to annoy us. Stuff's going to irritate us. We might want to dig our heels in, but actually, our job is to find solutions. And if the solution that's been brought to us from an individual member of staff or an individual member of school isn't the right solution, we need to share that. But then we need to share what the right solution is. Um, but at the forefront of our minds, whilst maintaining the the stability, security, and credibility of of our network.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's that juggle of, of security, uh, risk averse to to, you know, to to being a risk taker, I suppose, and all mm-hmm. of those juggles and everything mm-hmm. else. And, and I'm going to shift it up again. I'm going to move this completely beyond what we've just been talking about. And hopefully that's all right to go to to really step it up. So you've got this real focus in regards to your team. You've got this real focus in regards to teaching and learning and this, this mm-hmm. big hat that you play in regards to multi-academy trust leadership of, of education technology and IT not big enough, I want to create some communities of practice and, and take this to the EdTech <laughs> Digital hubs. How, how, how do you find time? What what does that look like? And and I was at the EdTech Summit last week and really yep. lucky to sit on the advisory board of that. And we look at primary all the way up to, to HE. And mm-hmm. one of the things that was discussed and asked from the audience and teachers alike, and is often, off, asked, often asked is, what about the communities? Where do we go to, to find information about digital strategy? What are these hubs? Is it just a northeast thing tell a little bit more about it and, and how people can get involved
1: um so uh, it came about through um guy that you you guys will no doubt be aware of called ty goddard um <clears throat> so ty um led the delivery of the first phase of the um, dfe edtech demonstrator program um in part in combination with uh, london grid for learning i think south grid for learning uh, and then um I think probably felt that the direction of travel that the EdTech demonstrator schools were going was maybe not the right direction of travel. Um, It was becoming significantly DFE driven um, and actually felt maybe there's a better way of doing the same thing that, that I guess a lot of people believe that demonstrator schools probably should have done, which is creating communities around really good digital strategy and really good digital pedagogy and network support to then share that with 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 local community schools um in, in local areas. And I got into a little bit of a I don't think a, a Twitter spat is the right direct right term at all. I think probably some tongue in cheek but loaded uh Twitter exchanges around how um the North is always forgotten. Um and after the the kind of Ty stepped away from from the EdTech demonstrator stuff, he sent us a message back and said, Yeah, you're right it is. Wanna we'll have a chat about that? so we, we engaged in a call uh, during uh, the back end of the summer term um and and had a bit of, had a bit of a chat around what that what that might look like and he shared that um the Edtech advisory uh, forum and edtech UK are wanting to set up um communities of practice and and hubs around the United kingdom to not only support um delivery of digital pedagogy and ed tech in schools but also to to support local communities because i I think i can certainly speak for the you know a number of the communities that we support what we found during lockdown was students are upskilling themselves but also there's a there's a skills gap in our um adult community around digital technology um and and i think you probably often think that that adult skills gap is maybe with um do anyone a disservice? Retirees, for example. You know, my my folks have only recently got Amazon Prime. They're in the early sixties. Not a clue how to use it on the telly. So I'm like, all right, I'll come and show you how to do it. However, what we're seeing is that maybe people don't understand how um, things like Teams might work, for example, or, or G Suite for Education, and then what students are being asked to do, um, struggling with things like online banking, Wi-Fi in your home. Um, digital skills to enable them to maybe apply for jobs, find work, access support that the are is enabled, um, and you know not just financial support, mental health and well-being. So, Ty and I had a had a bit of a discussion, and he said, "Well, you know, we'll love to, to love to welcome you into the EdTech Advisory Forum. There's about 23, 24 of us. Um, most of it's it's anecdotal sharing, and we'll, we'll we'll occasionally ping some emails around, communicate on Twitter um, as and when." Uh, and he said, "Well, do you fancy having a think about how you could you could set something up in the northeast?" So I uh, I pulled together a, a small but elite group of which Dan was in, uh probably just because he replied to you and said, "Yeah, I'll come and have a chat." And uh, and we started uh, having. You, you've discussion.
0: made me really made me feel special, Andrew. Thank you. You, you <laughs> built right. me right up, and then and then burst my bubble all in one sentence.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, um, so if Ben was here, he'd have done the same to me. So I won't worry about that. Uh, and and, uh, and I and I think. We had, a, we had a wide ranging discussion around it and I think the real challenge and probably why it's not got much further than a plan at the moment um in the northeast is time energy who and where um and I think I, I'm currently looking at the concept of partnering with one of the um one of the private schools in the northeast so uh, RGS who are based um in Newcastle they are looking to set up community hubs with, with some of their access to funding or what have you um, for more than just digital tech. So we're currently investigating the, the opportunity of piggybacking on the back of um of RGS's community hub and actually looking at setting up a physical space um and then looking at how we can we can support the community to come in and and access that as well as one of the arms being um education because I think. If you look at the northeast in general. Um, there, is, there are two edtech demonstrator schools. There's a primary somewhere in Newcastle, and there is Darlington uh, FE College in Darlington. Um, there are three I'm going to say off the top of my head uh, Google reference schools, uh, one in Bladen, one in Gateshead, and one in Walker. I think Walker Technical College is one, and there are no. Microsoft showcase schools at the moment. Uh, hopefully, that'll change in the not too distant future. However, those schools have always have always shared practice. You know, Kings Meadow shared practice with Thomas Moore before we started off on our journey. Thomas Moore then shared practice with Walker and Kings Meadow. When you know we have, you guys know we held road shows, We did a lot of work with Google about kind of the, the the promotion of of skills and technology. We brought parents in. We were doing little video casts and YouTube. Uh, and schools have done that for a long long time. yeah you know, there's that adage that the school is the center of the community and should be the center of the community. But actually that seemed to get lost in translation somewhere at, I don't know, around about Birmingham when the DFE were doing um, demonstrators and demonstrator communities. So our idea is actually we know it's a broad church. We know there's something for everyone. We've got an apple specialist um, in North Tyneside. We've got um, an Apple educator in one of our trusts. Uh, in our trust, sorry, in Blythe, we know there are three um, Microsoft innovative educators in and around the Northeast. There's two fellows. There are a range of Google certified guys and reference schools. Why aren't we bringing these people together in a in a single location, virtually, hopefully face to face, and then enabling us to share that practice? Uh, that's probably where we're at on communities of practice at the moment.
2: And, and are you guys linking in with the ETF around their um, their enhanced platform and also the because they got the they've got the funding and they've got the platform for the nineteen plus digital agenda, essential digital skills agenda for uh, for communities, adults based on the DFE and and all of that work. And, and shout out to Vicky Logier because she's done some amazing work via the ETF on on that. Is, is, are you partnered? Are you using that as a framework? And, a, and a we haven't.
1: No, we haven't gone there yet. I think our initial concept was let's focus. um, The big picture is to go there. Um, uh, I I think our initial focus is actually the time and space to get get people to collect together. Uh, I think that's the the hardest thing for teachers is finding the time to come together, isn't it? Yeah, we know that. Uh, And then once we've worked out how to do that, how do we then bring the community into that space initially. Um, there's two uh, EdTech UK hubs up and running already. There is one in Bristol, and I have a feeling the other one's in Hull, off the top of my head. Um, and, it, and it's then how how do we grow that? I know they're looking at one in Manchester, um, and I believe they were looking at one in the south, somewhere else as well as a starting point. But it's it's how we how we grow that um, afterwards and, and partnering with with colleagues who are. Who are looking at 19 plus is is the next step forward um we contemplated going into conversation with with local authority and local council um we are currently attempting to get an in into um schools northeast who have who have got quite a lot of sway in and around newcastle around partnering with various dfe initiatives um and it's it's tackling how we make those contacts. And I think at the moment we've got a concept. We know what we want to do. It's deciding is the middle of winter the right time to get it off the ground? Is it the right time to bring people together in a in a physical space? Is it do we need to maybe wait until we've got over the hurdle of Christmas and and people have maybe got that little bit more time and energy? Um, and I think we, I think it's probably watch this space for that that next step. So, so
2: the face-to-face thing, you know, who knows what the, the world is going to happen. You know, we've seen the rise of cases and and the world is still really volatile. But I'm guessing in terms of that forum, in terms of those communities of practice, is there now a space where if I'm a, a school in the northeast or in one of those hub spaces or around those spaces, I can go to a place now and say, I want support or not even support, I just want access to a digital strategy. Is everybody sharing all of those resources in as a minimum now? So actually people are not reinventing the wheel. Is everything getting shared into a a space or what does that look like? Because surely that should be the first step in regards to that's the simple stuff. That's the easy stuff.
1: Yeah. So I think the, um, the the sharing at this point is sharing the contacts, make signposting who you can speak to because, you know, everyone's got something slightly different. Everyone's got a slightly different need. I, I think, probably when we were at st thomas more we were banging stuff into the cloud in shared spaces and on a you know an open facing google site where you could go and take take whatever you wanted essentially but we had no ownership of what happened when that had been taken did they need help with training do they need help to understand what it's saying did they just want a template where they can see what a really good digital strategy looks like do they um, want a template around leading teaching and learning so for us the first the first step was signposting um who is available in the northeast and what their their specific skill set is around that um which which we've done and we need to revisit the second step um is to hold uh we're gonna hold a virtual roundtable event with um a range of um both education and um industry speakers um that we're hoping to attract you know good numbers i'm not gonna say significant numbers that would be um Maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit presumptuous, uh, to then talk about the direction of travel, and then when we've been through that process, the next process is then a um, a really open and transparent um, digital space where people can then you know, potentially book training, um, potentially ask for support. Uh, a little bit like, um, a little bit like people can do now. There's a, a Microsoft. Uh, North community that you can access, um, but it, obviously it's very Microsoft-centered. Um, I I'll, I'll plug that through my Microsoft Fellow stuff, but we know there's lots of people doing lots of different things, and and you want help with the thing that you're currently doing, not something where someone's going to try and push you down a particular road. Um, so I, I think the, the staging post is contacts of who is available in the broad spectrum are out there. Um, the roundtable event, and as and when we do that, and um, because uh, I think what we don't want to do a roundtable event and then nothing happen off the back of that. We want to do a roundtable event and then be able to say, and this will be live in a week's time. And this will be live in two weeks time. And here is the next event. So there's a, a little bit of, of core planning work to be doing around that. Um, and then after that, it's kind of see see what happens. I think we don't want to be too presumptuous about where it's going to go. We've got some we've got some ideas. We've got some very big ideas, um, but we're aware that you know the world is changing. People are probably more skilled in education than they were eighteen months ago, but there is still very much an entry need for lots and lots of people. we've also got to be conscious that. A lot of good work, really, really good work, is done by Google, Microsoft, and Apple. You know, we know that. We know each of them has their training programs. Each of them have their support networks. Each of them have their um, their innovation space for people who want to take their tools and, and become really innovative with that. You know, the, the three of us have all all done that in various guises. Um, I'm conscious that we don't want to step on their toes, but actually, what we want to do is we want to take that and pull it into somewhere that sits at the center. Um, and I think there's maybe some some conversation and some dialogue that needs to happen around ha- how we do that, because we know we've got Microsoft, we know we've got Google, we know we've got Apple, all in the Northeast. We know we've got um, some really good service examples. We know we've got some really good infrastructure examples. Um, and it, it's working through that that minefield, because I think still in in 2021, people are very protective of what's theirs.
0: Yeah. I think I think anything that is going to spread that word and offer support to people and and I know there is there's a lot of things out there already like you've just mentioned. However, it's it still amazes me when that people don't realize they, I don't and sometimes people don't want a a, a brand or a product focused type delivery. Some people get suspicious of it when it's coming from a brand. Um, so yeah, it's a, I think anything that's going to support people, especially in my homeland of the Northeast, is is, is fantastic. And and I think
1: yeah, yeah we've, we've you know, I've, I've taught probably every time I come on the pod, I have an opportunity to to remind people that yeah, you know, the the North as the the North of England in general, uh, and yeah, you know, the Northeast is is no different to the other areas of the North, but they are they are very very you know, very passionate people, very kind people. We operate. Outside of our jobs, in communities, you know, the northeast thrives on the on the community feel and the community spirit. But for you know reasons that that this is not the podcast to go into, the vast majority of communities that our schools serve are dealing with some very very challenging circumstances. Be it um, be it poverty, be it around um, food, be it around um, social index deprivation. Um, be it around unemployment, be it around lack of access to to education or training, and I think you know we need to take schools and and school communities and really see them as an opportunity for for social mobility, and and the opportunity to to support our communities to to grow because the northeast is a is a is, a, is an awesome place. You know, I, I'm an I'm an adopted Geordie. Uh, I wasn't born here. Uh, I was born in born in sunny Doncaster but you know this is home this is where my kids are growing grow up this is where my wife's from this is where my parents have retired to i'm um, i'm really really passionate about what the northeast can can bring to the party and really really passionate about schools and school communities being the driver for that
0: yeah yeah 100% and and it is that that the that the digital Digital sector is one of the the four main growth sectors of the of in the northeast over the next ten years. Really so is. our our students are going to need those skills. They're going to need um, the 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 skills that come with digital as well. The, the 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 kind of those those wraparound skills, those essential skills that digital digital can can provide. Um, yeah, I was just I think I've said it probably on a few podcasts now, but I was in, I was in a meeting of, uh, about a month ago. Where with uh, some representatives from the digital sector in Sunderland, and and one of the one of the people in there said that they think that on when it, when a student leaves college with having done a, a, a qualification in a digital subject and enter the the workforce, the skills that they're coming in with into the into that job will probably expire within about two years now because of yeah. the rate of technological change, and they'll have to unlearn everything they've learned and 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 learn a whole new set of skills and it's it's i think what we're doing if we get our schools right in terms of our digital priorities it's gonna it's gonna put our students in that better position to to go out and 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 grab those jobs uh, create those industries uh, that 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 we need and we we see that are are, are grown so much and not just in the northeast but of course the digital sector has grown everywhere at the minute um yeah. so we need to give our our students our learners those the skills the opportunities the the tools to be able to to, to contribute to it um, and i guess is as, as as a is a great strand of of the social mobility that you're talking about
1: yeah and i think you know we've, we've got to be realistic we're we're currently preparing year seven for jobs and technology that highly likely doesn't exist at the moment yeah I think that's uh, well. You can't, you can't, you can't probably look at it in any other way than that. Yeah, there's the every everybody, everybody will have seen the the shift happens video from what 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. And whilst the data is inaccurate, that concept of you are currently preparing students for jobs that do not exist and skill sets that they do not even know they're going to need. You know, if someone had told me when I did my teacher training, by the way, in 12 years' time. You're going to need to be able to teach from a computer at your dining room table while you're only allowed to go for one walk a day. You'd have laughed at them. You wouldn't have even dreamed of it, would you? So I think we're just going to keep that at the forefront of our mind, no matter what we're doing and where we're doing it in education.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, Andrew. Um, that's been great. Uh, are the, are the kids asleep now? Can you safely go I'm, back downstairs? Assu-
1: I'm assuming they are. Yeah, like, I've not heard anybody, <laughs> and there's that that the door. There's a, there's a door behind me. If I, if you can see us, that uh, that hasn't hasn't opened. So I'm assuming we're all good.
0: Yeah, I like that feeling. After uh, oh, I'm, <laughs> I might just stop. Actually, what I was about to say could. Could get me in trouble, but uh, I, just, just I doubt Julia answer. listens to the podcast. She's
2: just don't say it down. I'm gonna
0: say it <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just gonna say, I love like when ended the podcast and going going out onto the the upstairs landing, and it's just silence in the house. Um, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had to do any of the work. Uh, yeah, good job, Julia doesn't listen. So, yeah, uh, Andrew, have a lovely evening. It's been great having you on. Um, yeah, uh. It's mad to think it's 158 episodes since the first time you came on, uh, and let's uh, let's get you on again soon. Um, doing some amazing work up in the northeast, and uh, with the the Emmanuel Schools Foundation, uh, keep it up, and uh, we'll we'll chat soon. Thank you.
1: Absolute pleasure, gents. Thanks very much. I think I think I'm right in saying this is the hat trick show, so uh, we'll make it we'll make it four after that. But absolute yeah. pleasure as always, fellas. Love love to come back.
2: Good man.